Hi, my name is Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. If you are watching on YouTube, then it won't have escaped you that this is a a video today. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple or some other um, podcast platform, then please know that this won't be any different. But if you wanted to tune in on YouTube, then you can see uh, me and my guest uh, talking throughout uh, this episode. Today, we are thinking just about what happens when we're striving for goals and whether it's always that we're able to keep other kind of factors in mind, really. And today we're thinking about our health and exercise and wellness needs whilst we are striving for this goal of becoming a qualified psychologist. It's certainly something that I wish that I'd thought more about in my journey when I was an aspiring psychologist, and I hope that you will find it helpful too. Today, I have invited a guest along to help me talk to you about this. Um, He is very well um, experienced and versed in this because he has had his own goals to strive for as well. His name is Ollie Jordan Matthews, and he is a health coach and nutritional therapist. And I hope that you will find today's episode really useful as you strive towards your own goals. Any feedback always welcomed, and I hope that you enjoy it. I am joined today by Ollie Matthews, and I will, um, you know, I've given you your introduction, but please feel free to introduce yourself, Ollie. I am Ollie Matthews, as you've said. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm a health coach and nutrition therapist and specifically looking at why we're not getting the sleep quality that we could do, what impact that has on our health overall and how our gut health impacts everything that's going on within our body. A bit of a a history about myself that uh, I try and do the, the short kind of bio, but I was really, really overweight. Um, I dropped about 100 pounds and went into the world of bodybuilding and competed in bodybuilding seven shows over five years, last one being 2012. But it taught me just the wrong habits and I was overly obsessed and it gave me a a very disordered eating way way of uh, of being, um, which I then had to learn how to get out of uh, how not to tell people to eat and and things like that Uh, working with them moved on to working with endurance athletes professional athletes on their nutrition uh, and that then turned me into 
starting to work with a couple of business owners, uh, entrepreneurs. And the actual story like I missed out at the start of that was that when I was 15, my dad passed away. Uh, he had uh, used to have migraines and he had a stroke. He was 47 years old and he wasn't overweight. He was stressed out and he used to was working in the holiday industry, selling caravans. And then he became a sales manager and then park manager, got headhunted, very successful at what he'd done, but he was stressed out. And I didn't realize that I was working with these athletes that was more ego, getting them from A to B as quickly as possible, not really worrying about kind of the, the health as such. That was an afterthought. His speed was what was paying their bills. And then I worked with some entrepreneurs and I was actually working with a guy um, who was very big in the music industry. And I was over in his house in Nashville. I'd done what I call an intensive, which there's nothing intensive about it. I just literally live with, live there, live with the client for a week. Uh, one of the things that we have to do something fun when we're there, but live with the client for the week to make sure they're implementing certain things and they're not doing too much, not doing too little, going to get certain things all in place. And we actually launched a, a musician's health course there as well at the time. But I'm standing there and he said that I wanted to give Jill what she married 10 years ago, his, his wife. And his 15-year-old daughter was there, his 13-year-old son. He said that, Ollie, you've, you've given her back the man she married. And he was three years at the time, three years older than when my dad died. And I get goosebumps just saying it now. But it made me just totally realize that there's way more than just aesthetic. There's way more than just athletic performance is actually a health and I couldn't help my dad with his health but absolutely I can do my best to stop children losing their parents before their time and that was really powerful of why I dive deeper and deeper into health coaching and nutrition work. That's so powerful Ollie thank you for sharing that and I'm so sorry to learn about the passing of your father you. um, and you know as your own 47th birthday is on the horizon imminently I'm sure that's going to be you know not not suggesting that you're almost 47 I was going to say like give, give me I'm 35 come on <laughs> how much have I aged in the last few years but you know as we get older we do compare to the age yeah. when our when our parents died and it can feel a bit like a you know a benchmark and a milestone and something to to think about um, just where we're going to be. So I recently turned 40 and I remember my parents 40th and it feels weird, you know, to now be 40 myself. And, you know, as you approach 47, it will likely be on your mind as well. But um, it sounds like you've done some really impressive stuff. And I love the idea of doing stomach, insisting that you do something fun together too with your clients. Yeah, that, that was kind of weird. I mean, we've done things like, I mean, obviously safely done things like gone to the shooting range, which that was a weird, like, I wasn't comfortable shooting a gun, just like that power that's in the hand. But in the mosh pit at Iron Maiden was kind of, I'm, I'm a big hip hop fan. And like one of the things I like to do is a recharge is producing music and things. But being in the mosh pit in the desert in California was a bit of a experience, but it was cool as well. Um, but yeah, there's been some some fun things certainly sounds it and you know in in your experience when you've been striving for a particular goal or striving for a career um how have you found being able to look after your physical health and try to you know try to eat right and do all the stuff that you now do 
you know, really routinely and really regularly. Um, but how have you found that um, when you were trying to get to where you are now? I think it's just an expectation. Now, if I, I was that Ollie that still competed in bodybuilding, I wouldn't be where I am now. And that transition took a little while. It took going to see therapists, hypnotherapy, um, going to see a psychologist as well who specialized in um, disordered eating and how I could kind of leave some of the control that I didn't need to track everything. That There's absolutely an amazing tool in tracking, but you don't need to track everything. You don't need to live your life by a certain number. You don't need to live it on the scale and it's allowed me much more freedom but it did take it, it was a process that that happened over like the last show was 2012 i met my wife in 2013 and pretty quickly it was obvious that if i'd have kept those habits up that we wouldn't be together now we wouldn't have got married in 2016 and then still be together nearly 10 years later um or well 10 years next year and I think one of the things that we look at with any goal that, that is kind of a big goal that we're realistic, we push ourselves, but we're realistic, not just in the actual goal, but the time frame we give us to, to actually take it. A lot of people, when it comes to the start of the year, they might have health goals or business goals or whatever the goal is that we kind of, there's that saying that we underestimate what we can do in like a, a week or a day and or overestimate what we can do in a week or a day, but underestimate what we can do in like a year or 10 years or whatever it is, that side of things. And I do absolutely think that we have to be realistic of focus on building the habits and focus on getting them implemented over time. But also there's the habits that we build. We want to build good habits, but usually it's reversing bad habits, which again, didn't get built overnight. So we have to focus on what ones do we want to change? And I suppose why as well. They're, they're the key things. Rome was not built in a day, was it? No. Yeah. Exactly. And for our audience who are aspiring psychologists, um, I really like the idea of, you know, just small habitful changes, really. So to begin with, it might feel more effortful, but what we're looking for with healthy habits is, is that you do do small things to begin with until you're, you're until you're nailing it, you know, until yeah. you're making it part of your daily routine. It's not even something that you need to make yourself do. And that's the same with learning any skill, isn't it really? So if, you know, the people who you've seen for, for, for your stuff around eating and um, lifestyle, they had to learn their trade to begin with. And to begin with, it felt really effortful. But as we, as we get to do it more comfortably, you know, things come with more ease, don't they? And it just becomes something about us. So now you're Absolutely. Ollie, who likes to go to bed at 10 o'clock um, and drink lots of water, <laughs> which yeah. is what we were talking about just before we uh, just before we started recording. Um, but, you know, I really like the idea of what you said. We don't need to log everything. Um, certainly when we're developing competencies as, as psychologists, we are encouraged to log things. But what you recognise there is that, we can tip into something called orthorexia, you know, which is where we are recording things too much. And I guess I'd be really interested in your take on that and how people can, you know, try to be healthier, but try to preserve a good relationship and not, not make it become disordered. Yeah, I think looking at my, like, as the habit, let's use exercise as a habit. A lot of people struggle with getting it as a habit. 
but there comes a time and if you'd have told me this back when i was like 21 or whatever before i'd done any bodybuilding or anything and i was really overweight that going to the gym would actually become harder not to do than to do just like so many habits bad habits become harder not to do than to do just like good habits eventually um but i think my own experience was that tracking stuff works well for a lot of people until we become very obsessive with it and that goes with a lot of things with business with health uh, and like I used to find that if I was tracking loads of stuff, then I'd notice behaviors where I would end up where I would kind of overly track. I would feel guilty if I missed something or if I felt tired and I had a session to do at the gym, I wouldn't take the time off. Uh, and um, I would start kind of putting things, missing family events because there was a scheduled session missing birthdays. I remember that I couldn't take food to my best friend's wedding. Uh, he's been, been my friend since I was like five, six years old or something like that. And we weren't that close for his wedding, but I was still invited and I couldn't take food there. So I didn't go. And, and I think that was 2013 might've been two. Oh, I think it was 2012, something like that. And, I had to kind of look back at that and think, what are you missing out on? And what actual difference does it make tracking this stuff? And yes, if you've got a goal, which for me, when I competed, I had a very strict period of 12, 14, 16 weeks, whatever it was, that you're going to get on stage in in pants and fake tan, like crazy, like to, I wouldn't even dream about doing it now, but that was a specific goal. And that event with my best friend's wedding didn't come in that 12, 16 week period. It was in the, what we would class as the off season. So what actual difference would it make if I had a day where I enjoyed myself, didn't track anything. And actually one of the things I noticed with a lot of people working with stressed out people is that, okay, we need to know there's some form of like, tracking to know they're getting along with a kind of loose plan as such but the more we track the more stressed we get which then leads to negative behaviors for a lot of people as well so can we not be flexible focus on behaviors and i suppose also have have a team of people around me as well that i've referred many people to to different experts to say that this person needs help in this area and they need to go to that person or someone to speak to yourself like in psychology like have those people around so you know where those expert areas are and i've certainly had like a lot of help and asked for help in different areas to get me to where i am now so i i think yeah um i've forgotten the original question but that that's one of my experiences with the orthorexia the obsessiveness and i suppose even now there's still times when i don't feel in the shape that i'm in and I've been in much better physical shape. Like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, I'm not going to step on stage now. But when I think back to how I felt when I was a couple of weeks out from jumping on the stage, I felt horrible. 
I had no sex drive. I was waking multiple, multiple times during the night. I'd go on a, a road trip and I'd have to go to the toilet like four times in an hour or something, something stupid like that. And that was for a specific goal, but there was nothing healthy about it. And that's another one of the lines where we get um, fitness and health are two very different things. But I personally believe that like fitness, you can be very fit, but not healthy because fitness is for inferior specific goal, athletic performance or something like that. And just because you're one doesn't mean you're the other. Health to me now is overall that I don't get bloated randomly. Or if I do get bloated, I know why, because I've maybe, like, I know I'm very reactive to, to gluten and to dairy. And depending on my stress levels, I could probably tolerate a little bit, but if I'm stressed, then like it, it's a, a key indicator if I get a migraine or um, very bloated, lethargic. So I, I leave that out there. But I want to have the freedom and that allows me to, to be less stressed as a result. Yeah, really powerful stuff again, Ollie. And I think, you know, you, what you've demonstrated so well there is that sometimes just keeping the end goal in sight means that our living in the present really suffers. You know, the idea of not going to your friend's wedding and actually that you wouldn't have been, you know, if you'd been doing the, the, the competitive stuff when you met your, your wife, you wouldn't have been freed up to do all the things that are so integral for a blossoming relationship, aren't they? You know, um, spending time together, you know, going out on dates, eating together. And if you'd been training, it's very unlikely you'd have had the flexibility in your regime and your schedule and the way you spoke to yourself to allow those things to be possible. I think you can absolutely go, you can go the other way as well. Like I, I personally feel my life personally need, needs a little bit of structure. So when when I don't have the structure or when there's high levels of stress, recognizing the the bad habits as well. And for me, that one of the bad habits I had to recognize was that, uh, as we said about before this, about alcohol. I don't drink alcohol. I don't like the taste of it. Some people, when they're really, really stressed, they might turn to alcohol. But then when they then have this, I've got a car alcohol, it then gets more stress because it's not the underlying condition. My thing was that I used to just dive into the gym more uh, and train every day, maybe twice a day, just really beating my body up or like binge eating and things like that. And the more I tried to like stop that stuff, the more frustrated I would get because that I was doing it because of something else. So what was the underlying stressor and how can I help myself with that as well? That, that's something which I really had to get a grip on, I, I believe. Uh, that has helped me a lot. Yeah, and both as professionals, but also when we're working with clients as psychologists, it's really useful to look at those coping strategies. So what does it cost for you to be able to, to do the things that you do and, and what tools do you use? to help yourself to do them. And actually, it can be really useful when we look at the window of tolerance um, method. I don't know if you've heard of that or seen that, but it's, you know, when I we're in the middle of it. Term. 
Yeah, when we're in the middle bit, when we're functional, um, we're able to use our wise brains to make choices and do things rationally and logically. But if we're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or scared, um, we're more likely to, you know, to to feel overwhelmed and we're more likely to then do things like reach for alcohol or, um, you know, to want to eat if we're feeling really sluggish at the other end of the window of tolerance and it can be really useful to think about how we take home our workplace stress can't it and if you recognize that as soon as you're coming in from work or as soon as you've clicked your final team's call for the day that you're going to the fridge to pour yourself a wine because you need that to decompress then that's a sign that maybe some tweaks need to happen in your in the way that you're functioning in your day-to-day life isn't it Absolutely. And I think wine is such a common thing and it's normalized purely because it is common that people have it to wind down and we have it to chill out and it's the end of the day thing. But when we actually look at the stress that it could bring, I'm not one for the same to people cut out alcohol. Um, And with a lot of my clients, they really do like to have their wine and things like that. But one, one client example that I worked with not last year, I think it was the, it was just before the pandemic. So it would have been like January, February, 2020. And he has had a successful, has a successful business. And he used to go to the bar every night until like 10 o'clock. And we just couldn't get him to stop overly drinking. And we actually like built up this relationship and then we spoke and he wasn't happy in his relationship with his girlfriend. So what he was actually doing was going to the bar, drinking. So when he left the bar, she was already in bed. So he didn't really have to have that time with her and had to have that conversation with him. Like inevitably, like we're with coaching, we're with nutrition. Like it's not just about eat this or that. It's lifestyle factors as well. And he said, I'm not happy in my relationship. I know I've got to finish this. Um, literally, he finished with his girlfriend and it was like a weight was lifted off his shoulders and the drinking was easy. He then drank when he wanted to. And I think that's a key thing to distinguish that when I work with someone and they say, I can't drink out, cut out wine, there's a difference. I can't cut out wine or I won't cut out wine. And I say to them, if it's, I won't cut out wine, I'm cool with that. If it's, I can't, we need to look at why. And that doesn't just go with wine it doesn't just go with beer alcohol with that as as i said in my case it was why can't i cut the alcohol what am i hiding from and i think that's something to recognize a lot certainly is and i think what you're describing so wonderfully is mindful drinking and Mm. mindful eating you know if you're um, previous client had wanted to go to the bar because he really, really wanted a glass of champagne or something, then that's okay. Um, and he's making that choice, but he doesn't have to have a whole bottle just because it's been offered to him. And, you know, if he doesn't want to finish that glass, you know, there's a lot of pressure at weddings and things, isn't there, to, you know, join in and have a toast. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to give in to pressure. You do get to choice make choices. And just because you start a drink of whatever doesn't mean you need to finish it and you see that a lot with people with cakes as well don't you you know you've started a slice of cake oh i've got to finish i've got to finish everything on my plate and anything generally not just cake but actually you don't you know you can stop at the point that you're full you can stop if you're not enjoying it and you can stop just because you feel like actually that's enough for me right now that that's something which 
ironically, I had the conversation. My, my old boss, when I worked in the corporate world, signed up uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a conversation we had about growing up. And no doubt you've spoke to people about it that I always told that I can't get down until I finish my plate or finish my vegetables. I can't have dessert and all that sort of stuff. Not only was that bringing in the, the if I finish, I can have dessert so that I have to have dessert after a meal, but it would then stop me from just leaving food. And the same with him that it, we, we kind of, we get told that there are people starving in the world. And I wish there was something that so many more people could do. And like, we, we can donate to charity, not just in third world countries, but like people this on the streets, like, yes, they are, they are starving, but how is us directly eating everything and putting our health in jeopardy really helping them? What can we do to actually help them more? One of the things I'd like to make sure I do is just carry some spare change. Like, no doubt we don't have cash as much as we used to, but carry some spare change so I can give some change if I see someone. And like, to me, that then makes up for it. Like, well, if I don't eat that food, I don't feel as bad for for leaving it because someone else could have had it if I'm actually then just giving them something as well. Um, and the same thing with dessert. I had a conversation. Um, there's a, a monthly meetup thing that I go to that ends up having a free course meal. And I said to the organizer that, um, can I not just have like meat and vegetables with this, like have some gluten-free gravy. I, I don't really care for a starter, but please don't give me a dessert because I'll just leave it. I don't want you just to give me it and I leave it, especially since I'm not touching it or anything. It's just a waste. He said, oh, well, what would you have for dessert? Like, why don't we get you some vegan cheese and, and crackers? Like, I wouldn't have a dessert normally. I, I would eat. And then if I'm still hungry, I might have something, but most of the time I'm not. And it was just the normality to say, let's have soup, let's have a main meal, let's have a dessert. And I think if we can, I think it's having the power, no, not power, the self-love to put yourself first in those moments rather than what society seems to think is the right thing, what we actually feel is the right thing for us as an individual. Definitely. And actually, it's okay to be different. It's okay to make different choices than other people. And when when we're empowered to make choices about what we choose to eat um, and what we choose to drink, you know, birthday birthdays are big ones, um, certainly for people with eating disorders, you know, when it's time to come and sit down and have some birthday cake, you know, there's that real societal pressure within families and within work groups. And, you know, then if you've worked in places where there's been a snack table at work, you know, yep. come on. Someone's on. birthday, we all bring snacks in. Yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, there's that pressure around that communal eating and we are of course mammals as well and so there is great pleasure to be taken in eating together and it can be a really key bonding thing but I think we what you're so nicely just depicting is trauma trauma messages we've been given along our development that our parents and their parents would have been given about you know not wasting and being grateful and what we're doing, certainly from a young age, there's lots of really important stuff um, about baby-led weaning, about encouraging even babies, you know, to tell you when they're full and to control what they put in their mouths um, and not force feeding them, not doing all this aeroplane feeding and, you know, not looking at the bottle and going, oh, you know, you need some extra, you know, or, you know, you don't feel like you've been on that boob long enough. You've got to have some more. It's trusting 
the child to nourish themselves appropriately because if yeah. they begin to learn that control then they're able to take that throughout their lives it's really really powerful stuff definitely definitely i feel yeah and that, that goes like when we see trends and stuff on social media like i think it, it's doing something just because someone else is doing it and then it's not necessarily what we need and that then leads to injuries it leads to potential deficiencies because our body our individual body doesn't need it just because something's trendy um we see it a lot with with diets after month like dry january or sort of veganuary or stoptober and stuff like it's easy for people to do things when everyone's doing it but what do we actually want what do we actually need and I think if we can actually dive in and find out what we need, we're going to get much better. Like, there's going to be much less stress. I know we, we haven't really spoke about sleep or gut health on this, but it's stress, right? And stress is one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons that we have problems with sleep. Stress is one of the biggest reasons we have problems with gut health, why people have IBS, IBD, and they get bloated randomly, or they have outbreaks of acne because their gut health isn't, where, where it should be but it's stress that food is causing but also stress that society is causing our perceptions around things that are going on in society and stress that our environment and lifestyles are causing absolutely and if you could give our listeners you know a couple of top tips for thinking about where to start with you know if they if some of the stuff you've mentioned is really thinking yeah that describes me i am really tired all the time and i am sluggish and i've got a random break breakout of acne you know when i don't usually suffer in that way if all this stuff is is ringing bells for people what would be reasonable practicable first steps ollie i think recognition is the first step like we could say like go into different nutritional strategies i hate the word diet and stuff like that but nutritional strategies to say cut this out or have more of this or whatever it is like that side of things but i think recognizing what is the cause of stress so as we said about before with me over exercising or people having alcohol find that root cause and you'll feel so much less frustration because if we're trying to just cut out alcohol but we're still stressed, then that is going to be so hard to cut out of that alcohol. If it's chocolate or whatever it is, and we need we need to do something to adjust our lifestyle, there's so, so, so much more freedom in having something because we want it rather than because we simply crave it or are addicted to it. So much more freedom. So I think the recognition is, it's a powerful thing. I mean, you could go into things like, well, what is that causing sleep and issues with sleep? I'm waking up during the night to go to the toilet, something which is very common but not normal, um, random bloatedness and stuff like that. And that gets down into more the individual side of things. So it's hard to, to diagnose on, on a podcast, but looking at your routine, if you're constantly on the screen until late at night or if there's certain things stressing you out late at night, um, then, yeah, like, you can generalize with that stuff, but a lot of those things come into more the the individual side of things. 
Definitely. And our audience um, are often in a supervision relationship um, as aspiring psychologists or are striving towards getting to be in a job where they do have that. And sometimes being honest about our workplace stress with our superiors can feel like a really brave thing to do, but can actually help to move those mountains um, so that you can make different shifts and different choices. Do you know what I think that with part of what I've, I've done as well with some clients that I've had some really stressful clients as such where it's such a trust relationship that, I mean, I, I go to a neurology appointment with one of my clients every year. She's had epilepsy and she's had domestic abuse and things like, um, and she trusts me so much and it is a lot of pressure, but being honest with those people that you're in a relationship with when you get home, I think is underrated. I tell my wife that I'm, I'm an introvert anyway. I'm naturally INFJ. I don't know how much you believe with like the Myers-Briggs things and stuff like that, but like, it's a very rare personality type. I'm quiet, um, very naturally introvert, and I'm happy with public speaking now. I had to do a lot of work on that, but after a, a health session, a therapy session as such with a client um, that are a bit deeper, or after public speaking, if I've had a day of socializing, I need time to recharge. And at first, my wife would be like, why are you so quiet? What's up? And nothing was up. I just need quiet time to recharge. So I think that, I don't know if you you think similar as well, but if we're, obviously there's client confidentiality, so we can't go into the depths of what we've spoken about with a client, but if we're in a relationship, we can actually lower the stress by just letting them know that sometimes we just need a little bit of me time. And I think that, um, you know, the love languages, and there's like a sixth love language, which is like, personal space is it personal space the one they've discovered now something like uh, alone time or personal space they've said there's a six love love language so um i think again that's communication right yeah it really is and it looks different for different people but when we are working as talking therapists sometimes it's really nice just to have some silence (laughs) exactly and if you go home and your children are really noisy and crawling all over you you know sometimes from being with someone in really significant, important, emotional communication sessions. Sometimes you can just feel really touched out. And I know when you're raising children, sometimes you feel that as well. I just want, you know, they're in bed now. I just want to be by myself. Um, But I think you can be, you know, you just want to, this is where the appeal of Netflix is really, you just want to kind of, you know, absorb and not not have to be emotionally, physically present and and ready to respond. I think some people as well, I was definitely speaking to someone yesterday that she's got things to push on her business and things like that. And like, well, it's recognizing some of the things we do to recharge actually have a place in growing our business and our relationships. And I used to feel really guilty with like playing PlayStation or watching something on Netflix, almost to the point that I could only watch Netflix if I was on my bike on my turbo trainer doing my exercise, my cardio session. It, it whilst we have to be aware that we are consu- over consuming but like it's good to actually recognize these things do sometimes add to our life as well that they are there for like we want to chuck some marvel on and just go in a completely different universe and like where anything is possible or like we, we can recharge from these things as well it's not all negative we're just going down that route 
Absolutely. And I think one of my, you know, what I'm doing in 2022, my theme, if you like, is self-care and strength. Mm -hmm. um, so self-care for me looks like looks like strength, actually, sometimes as well. So I've, I've invested in PT myself. Um, and the other Tuesday, I went to a spa for the day, just on a random nice. Tuesday. How nice. Um, but sometimes it looks like, so I don't technically work Mondays and Fridays usually, not seeing one-to-one -one clients. Sometimes that looks like going off and doing random bits or just laying on the sofa and watching Netflix, don't tell my husband. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it looks because that's what helps me bring my optimal best to the stuff I do then do with clients and to the stuff that I record and, you know, to this. Exactly, yeah, recognising these things. Same with, with going to exercise. I, I usually get some good content ideas and write some notes when I'm exercising. So much so if I'm on my bike sometimes, luckily like being in the countryside in Norfolk that I could just pull over and just write half a post because I've just got this great idea for a post. And like, we can look at this like exercises just for fitness or exercises just for losing weight or building muscle or whatever it is. But it's actually a hell of a lot more than, than just that. And recognizing where it's it, where it is can make us if people are feeling guilty for exercising because they've got parenting duties or they've got business duties relationship things that they want to be um completing then it adds to it as well i totally agree some of my best ideas have come either on a run in the shower or when i'm cooking you know but it's only when you've got that flexibility of time because if you're doing it all in a hustle and you're doing it in a way that feels really directive or that you're punishing yourself to do it then you're not going to have that optimal flexibility to be able to do get your brain to do its wonderfully creative things you know it's just gonna it's you know so I, I absolutely agree with you yeah definitely Ollie it's been so lovely chatting with you and clearly you know your stuff you are you know you're an expert and you know if people want to work with this chap who's been all over the world you know to america and all these things with high flying business clients how could they get a taster of you and your work uh, you can go to the website ojayhealth.com and there's there's a contact me there's um more information and things on there there's some blog posts and testimonials and things like that or just drop me a message on social media. If you just search for Ollie Matthews on Facebook, there's the business page or my personal is Ollie Jordan Matthews. Um, I'm on there quite a bit um, with, with work stuff. So just drop me a message. And uh, what I've done as well is that um, I've got a health screening that we've said about called the optimal health screening where we go through, it's not medical side of things, but we go through brain health, gut health, uh, adrenals, and we go through... Um, your genetics as well just to see like what symptomology there is in the body and then we jump on a call as well after that that um i look to give like two or three things you can implement straight away to see some quick results and then you can talk about coaching after that if you want to but the key thing there is to look at symptoms like you get cold hands and feet do you get brain fog um poor nail health or random bloating uh, being lethargic and stuff what is causing them and what is the easiest thing you can do to help you with them straight away. So there's, there's that and there's how to sign up for that for 99 pounds on the, uh, on the website as well.
That sounds like an absolute bargain when they get to work with you as well. Like that's amazing. So yeah, if this is um, calling out to you and you think this might help you in your journey to becoming an aspiring psychologist, then definitely check out OJ because <laughs> he knows his stuff. But what I've really loved about speaking with you today is that there's been that dual benefit really, Ollie. There's been the benefit of how this protects your own mental and physical health as an aspiring psychologist but there's also been lots of really great take-home points for how people can spot some of this stuff in their clients so mm. it's like a super punchy brilliant um podcast episode really because it's it's gonna be yeah so helpful for people that are listening so thank you so much for My taking pleasure. the time to come and talk to us and share your um share your insights it's been such a pleasure Cheers. I, I appreciate you having me on here. Anytime. Take care, Ollie. It's so nice to see yeah. you. Bye. I hope you've um, found this episode useful um, and if you do um, I'd love any feedback that you've got um, please help share it widely um, like and connect um, subscribe rate review do all of the things and you'll be my new best friend um, come and connect with me over on socials I'm on LinkedIn Dr Marianne Trent Twitter I'm good thinking PS1 um, good thinking psychological services on Facebook and I am on Instagram as well as Dr Marianne Trent so please Please come and connect. Um, help me to help you. And yeah, let's get word out there about this wonderfully useful podcast. I hope you found this helpful and I'll look forward to catching up with you next time. Take care. Being well supported during any interview season is so important. I have therefore uh, planned some compassionate question and answer support sessions for you. You are absolutely welcome to come along to all of them, some of them, none of them. No need to book and here are the dates for you. Monday the 28th of February from 7.30pm, Monday the 21st of March 7.30pm, Monday the 4th of April 7.30pm and Monday the 9th of May 7:30 p.m. and they will all be live streaming via my socials uh, which includes Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn and Facebook so you can absolutely pick your favorite um, platform and they'll all be available on replay as well. Hope you find it so useful and I will look forward to catching up with some of you then. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information 
on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.